Beth Peretta, we first met her with SRT Motorsports through Dodge and Mopar many, many years ago. We've stayed in touch through the peripheral, whether it was liking a post or a, a <laughs> quote on Twitter or, hey, man, nice job. Or, Where the hell you at? Well, she's resurfaced, Freak Nation, and she's getting set for the 2021 Indy 500 as she is assembling an all-female team. It was announced last week with Simona Del Silvestro. She's going to be piloting the Indy 500 car. And there's so much that we want to ask you, Beth Peretta, but let's get right into the core of this. In 2016, you you hope to get involved with an all-female team with uh, the Indy 500. Now we are five years later. Would this be happening, Beth, if we didn't go through the raw change as America and the Me Too movement? I think that's a great question to ask. I know that I wouldn't be here if I didn't go through what I did in 2015. So I announced in 15 the intention for 16. And so that sort of then, and the reason we chose to announce in 15, or I chose to announce in 15, because there's some, you know, some people involved and we kind of batted it around. And the idea of announcing it a year ahead of time was, well, let's put it out there because then it'll make it a little easier for the phone to possibly ring inward, which it did. And that kind of, I think, was almost, I don't want to say the first domino because obviously there have been other women's initiatives here and there in fits and starts. I mean, there was a women's series that uh, Panos supported in the 90s. Obviously, there have been other women at the 500 specifically, but, I, you know, I was always sort of talking about something much broader and really to wind up um, affecting more um, more facets of racing and motorsport. And yes, using IndyCar as the platform, ideally it would cascade everywhere else. There were people supportive then, um, for sure. And then because of logistics and, and then other things, I you know we then, as you know, pulled the plug right before the 500, about four weeks to go in uh, 2016. Um, but yeah, has the has sort of the 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 tenor changed and and have the, just people taken more notice? Have corporations taken more notice that might now see this as something that matters a little bit more than they might have been aware of in fifteen? I think the people that you saw in fifteen and sixteen who got it were people that kind of always operated that fifty thousand foot view. So the fact that now it's cascaded down is probably because of the hard work and everything else that you've seen happen in the regular social landscape. Beth Peretta joining us here in the Freak Nation as she gets set to field the all-female team for the 2021 Indy 500. We don't dance around it anymore, Beth. It We did when we started Speed Freaks 20 years ago, but we don't dance around uh, racial inequality, uh, gender inequality. I mean, it, it's part of our conversation that we have now, Beth. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. I was thinking something the other day. You sometimes, no matter whenever you have announcements like this, you'll see comments that are negative. That's fine. There's those people that are kind of wired to not only think something negatively or cynically, but to also voice it, post it. That's fine. That person that's posting something cynical, they're posting it when, or, or thinking it in all facets of their life. It's not unique to the racing conversation, but you know, one of those the, the uh, opportunity that we have now is because we have people pulling in the same direction. I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing if I didn't have the support of the men who've all been in 
you know, sort of those positions of, you know, creating opportunity. And that's kind of how every, all change has happened through, through time. Whenever there's been any sort of social change, it's because the people that had held the power or held the control had that sort of realization of, okay, I have the opportunity to change this and make this better, make this different. So fair play, all credit has to go to sort of, you know, the, the, the people that have sort of been the status quo, it took, it takes time for them to, for it, they, we've been, we've realized it the whole time. Anybody who's in the group that hasn't been seating, sitting at the table knows they're not at the table. It's the moment when the people sitting at the table say, okay, hang on. And I've actually been in that position as well. I remember times where I was on my automotive on the corporate side that I would be the only woman in a meeting. And in that first couple of times, you think, wow, that's cool. Look at where I've gotten to. And I'm the only woman at this level or sitting at this table. And then you say, oh, wait, hang on. I need to open the door and, and reach down the ladder and pull other people up with me. Was it cynicism, Beth, that, that kind of crushed the dream in 2016? No, certainly not mine. And I mean, right. you know, there's those moments where you, uh, you, everybody's got an opinion, great, but, you know, what are you doing about it, buddy? You know, like, what did you do today to, to make the world a little better? <laughs> ah, you know? We're talking with Beth Peretta, getting ready for the 2021 Indy 500, an all-female crude, Simona Di Silvestro, the 2010 Rookie of the Year. She will drive the car this year. Beth, who else is involved with this? I remember before there was a, uh, all women engineers, uh, executives with the team. Who else is involved with this? It's sort of that thing that I, um, you know, when I presented this to, I presented this to Roger back in 15, we kept in touch the whole time. When I reached out to him this summer, I said, you know, let's sort of uh, catch up, level set, recalibrate. What are you guys working on? I saw this announcement, announcement, race for equality and change. Tell me about it. Is there anything I can do to help you? Because this is something that I'm very passionate about and have spent years working on. So even though you guys haven't seen me, I've been working the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that which is fine this and, and as we all know this it's the quickest overnight success like everybody else uh so i've been diligently working i've been track side i've been working with schools and such so it was an opportunity this summer to kind of sit down with roger reach out like i say and then sit down and compare notes of okay what do you what is your goal with indycar and let me tell you what i'm working on and some of the ideas i have certainly they were aligned. And then um, the idea was, I said, okay, we didn't want to have all of these. We'd like to integrate as many women as possible. And like anything, we want to make sure they're the right women. We have some experienced women. I've got some uh, women in junior roles who, of course, have expressed interest. And so do we, do we use them right out of the gate? Maybe not. Maybe we kind of bring them in later this year and then to, to kind of gear up for the next year and, and the growth you know, from there on. But the idea, yeah, absolutely integrate as many women as we can. And I'm working on that with the the Team Penske folks to figure out who could we slot in right away and then who maybe is in that development track. See, and that's all a part of you just bringing them up through the ladder. I, I absolutely yes. love that. But let's go back just a little bit when you were yeah. talking about your story and your involvement and how you've been active in one way, shape, or form over the last many, many years, because last year was a big turning point, kind of getting back to what Kenny was saying with yeah. not just the Me Too movement, but equality and, and after George Floyd and all the protests going on there, just equality in general. 
because this was an IMSA story going down, but with the change in the climate, the social climate, it became an IndyCar story. Can you gotta go about how that developed? Well, yeah, I mean, IndyCar was certainly you know, from the beginning was the, was the goal, and then I thought, well, let me just let me just take a, a turn here. And I, I mean, I love IMSA, I love sports car racing, always have. I love IndyCar, I love sports car. I honestly love them equally. And, you know, I've got, a, I've got an eye on what's going on at the Roar down at Daytona this weekend. Um, and it w- my thought was, okay, the reason I was looking at uh, IMSA was there's a, way, a cost-effective way. Look, I looked at LMP3. I looked at a few different things, in fairness. I had a few discussions over the years about a GTD program and uh, looked at LMP3 because the idea that that can run in a few different uh, series across around the world being a universal platform that makes it you know that made it sort of appealing of hey there's some flexibility here and um, the, the ability to uh, maybe get partners in Europe or Asia um, and then certainly the fact that it, it's also a, a platform a car that's eligible for the mall there's all those things that sort of ticking a lot of boxes but you know, you have conversations with people that are interested, but there's a difference sometimes between being interested and fully understanding maybe what I was describing. Um, this is a program, and it's not meant to be, you know, this is a one and done. We're going to tick, tick a box and have a woman ideally on the grid, assuming that we can get Simona to qualify for the 500. This is meant to be long term. From the beginning, I'm talking about something that this, you know, this, ideally this team exists in perpetuity. Because if we are on the grid for five years, ten years, you're going to see us progress and the, our, our skill level progress. No first-year team has a, a ton of success. They're growing pains, and we expect that. So in order to actually be you know, holistically successful, you have to have a long-term plan and a long-term goal and ideally long-term support and people need to really embrace that and sort of invest in that and when i say invest i'm talking time not Mm -hmm. just resource but time and kind of share that perspective so i've had countless conversations with oems series flights back and forth to europe um i mean I, i could tell you the laundry list of the people that i've sat in front of and everybody was positive, but I'll be honest, I don't know if everybody got it, you know? I mean, yeah, they get it, but do they get it? Wow. And there's always a sort of a nuance there. I can, t- I can tell you that there are some people that did, for sure. There, not, not everything was a, an abject no, and not everything was a complete door closed by yeah. any means. There were some of those, but not mm-hmm. everybody. But fair play to Roger, he got it in 2015, you know, for, you know absolutely. Um, Chevrolet got it from two, in 2015. Um, we, I had an engine contract in 2016. I never told anybody that, but we literally had a press conference scheduled. I still have the shirts that everybody was going to wear for the press conference. Oh. And there's a Chevy bow tie on it, you know, and there's a, the, the series logo and all the stuff that you do, like all the kind of stuff that you saw this past Tuesday. I had that in 2016 ready to go so to show you how close things were and that was for a you know press conference that was going to happen in april at long beach so that shows you kind of who got it early on you know so uh, now i just wear that polar around the house (laughs) (laughs) well hey it still fits it works hey go for it beth paretta gets set for the 2021 indy 500 putting together an all-female indy 500 team simona de silvestro will be piloting the car she was set to run the 20, 
15 Indy 500, but uh, things took a turn. Statman, go right ahead. So what happened in 2016, and how can we keep that from happening this year? Well, um, there was a, I had a deal with, so the way that, the way that it works, and I, I'm sure most of your fans know this. So when you look at an Indy, an Indy 500 grid, 33 cars, ideally more than that are going to try to qualify, which makes for an exciting qualifying weekend and bump day. Uh, but the way that you go from your average, you know, Indy car lineup of maybe 22 cars, 23 cars up to that 33, 34, those added 10 cars are usually a team running an additional car some of those uh, other teams that kind of just run for the 500. And those seats, as you know, can be effectively purchased. You're coming in with your driver, and you're effectively renting that ride, and here's the money, here's bringing a sponsor, you know, and saying here's the, I would say Starbucks is my, you know, uh, <laughs> example of a sponsor because nobody has Starbucks. That so would not be the, too shabby either. Right, exactly. <laughs> here's the number, you know, 16 Starbucks car featuring you know, Crash Gladys. And then, then it's that story. Um, so what, I, what you do is you've got, you know, you've got Starbucks lined up, you know, you've got your driver lined up, and you know that you can then go to some of those teams and they basically all have an asking price. And you say, okay, I'm putting my money down with this driver and we're doing that. So because I wanted to have some, some women integrated from the beginning, the idea was that not necessarily touching the car right out of the gate, because remember, I'm taking women at that point and still, from other series. Like I could take a woman who is really well versed in sports car racing as an engineer knows what she's doing, but no matter what, she's going to be new to the IndyCar rule set, the equipment and all of that. So there's mm -hmm. always going to be a learning curve. So that idea was to integrate those women into an existing team of men. So it's always going to start out as co-ed. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not, we don't right now have enough women at that level to, to just kind of flip the switch and boom, all of a sudden magically it's all women. So the key was, invest in them and invest in, in, you know, kind of have that long-term plan. So I had a team. Uh, so I had an engine contract. I had uh, sponsors. I had investment and went to um, when it, when it was decided at the end of 15, when I spoke with Roger and it looked like they did, they made the decision not to run a fifth car in 16. Um, mm -hmm. So when I talked to him in 15, the idea that they would run a fifth car, they made a decision at the end of 15 to not do that at all. Case in point, there were other opportunities. I know other people approached him about running a, a fifth car in 16. And he said no to them. And you know, there's people that can kind of tell that story too. Um, and he said, and I'm not running a fifth. And if I was, I'd be running Bass Peretta. Uh, so that was a logistics thing. There was an, uh, it was a unique year. There was a shortage of, um, a lot of teams weren't running as many cars as they had in the past. So then it becomes almost like musical chairs. Who's got an open, who, who has an open chassis? Who's got a crew of, of people? Uh, where can I, where can I put this money? And I had a deal with a team and we were going to announce that at uh, Long Beach. And literally like four days before, three days before that announcement, um, I could tell it was, it, calls weren't getting answered the way they oh. should have. And then I wound oh. up talking to that team. And they wanted to change the terms of the deal and say, hey, how about if we move you off the 500 and you do three other races later this year? And, uh, and the excuse that was sort of, hey, you know, the 500 is a big race to start with, and I don't think that this is whatever. Instead of realizing, okay, I had a driver who'd driven it before, and like anybody else, like if you're, you know, name a person, you know, Townsend Bell, Oriel Servia, when you're this year, when you've got Elio or Montoya, they're coming forward, 
with whether it's funding or that, you know, the team has gotten a sponsor and they're just kind of sort of dropping in. That's a normal thing. We do this all the time. Yeah. Um, that's how the 500 works. And yeah, three days before this press conference, is like, hey, um, you know, I don't think this is a good first race for you guys. <laughs> Meanwhile, after two months of discussion. Yeah. Uh, so, so what wound up happening is it turned out that they wanted to put somebody else in the ride and then take, so take my money, take that person's money and effectively like double their money and uh, move me off the 500 and give me other mm. races later in the year. And I said, no. Absolutely not. That's not the deal we had. And listen, that is not unique to racing. It's not unique to me. I guarantee you anybody in the paddock has stories like this. It just happens. It shouldn't happen, but it does. And there's always different circumstances, different sponsors at play that, you know, are kind of fighting over. There's a limited number of assets, right? You have Mm -hmm. so many cars, so many, uh, you know, whatever races. So sometimes things like this happen. So it was just circumstance. But that then set me on a wild goose chase to find a different opportunity to get on the grid. And that was literally seven weeks before the race. So what, you know, what do you do? Yeah, I've got seven weeks until the 500. Now find another car, another team. Um, I even was talking with Honda at that point, too, because it was about just getting on the grid. And Honda was super supportive, you know, full disclosure. And Chevy will vouch for that, too. It was kind of like, we really want you in this race. So is there, can, you know, can Honda support us and can we get with a Honda team? And so we looked at that too. And then it just, the clock, the clock, I want to say the clock sort of ran out, but realistically there was a car, there was a last available car. In fact, I just exchanged texts with somebody that, that helped me in that process. And I drove down to Indy to look at this last available chassis. There was just a, a shortage of chassis. There were other teams that were caught out that year. And I go to in, inspect this chassis. And, I, and when I say I went to inspect, I brought people with me because I have no business inspecting a chassis. So that's not, <laughs> please, hello. So what, you know, what do you do? You call in people that know what the heck they're doing. And, you know, so it was somebody that had been a crew chief on this particular car. And it was just, you know, looking at it at somebody's garage um, because it ha- that's happened to be where it was stored, you know, at somebody's shop, race shop. And we got, went to go look at it. It was missing a bunch of pieces, which is normal uh, when you're in that, you know, when you're in that condition. And we knew that a bunch of things needed to be replaced because they were of unknown mileage. So for safety's sake, if you don't know, you replace it. Um, And at this point, it was four weeks to the race. So, you know, a week and a half until you really have to be on track with the car. And it was that moment of we I don't we're not going to be able to get all these parts in time. Um, confidently, um, and there's no way you're gonna. I'm we're, I'm gonna put anybody in an unsafe, not race worthy car. So tough decision, but pull the plug because as you know, as I said, no matter what, the program had extra eyeballs on it. Of course, it's always going to do that. So I'm not in any way going to cut any corners. I mean, with all, with all things being equal, I mean, obviously the original deal would have been the best way to go, but okay, here now I'm dealing with the cards I'm dealt right in that moment. And yeah, did I have to kind of wear that decision and kind of take it on the chin? Sure. But is that what you do as a team owner? Yes. (laughs) And, And, you know, could there be like a whole comment section that blows up? Knock yourselves out. You have no idea what the hell is behind the scenes. And ultimately, was it the right decision with that, with that set of information? Was it the right decision? Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. 
Beth, it's great to have Simona De Silvestro back in the series, but your driver in 2016 was Catherine Legg. Was she given the first rider refusal to return this year? Was there a scheduling problem for her? How'd the change come about? Yeah, it's absolutely great to have her back in the series. Um, well, realistically, uh, I, I, I don't really keep that close in touch with Catherine anymore. She's been full-time really in IMSA, but when I started talking about this with Penske and the uh, organization, it was at the end of July, beginning of August, and Catherine had just had her accident. She had a testing accident, unfortunately, uh. this past summer uh, in Paul Ricard when she was getting ready for Le Mans because, again, Le Mans was shifted because last year was so crazy with COVID and everybody's schedules being all jumbled about. So um, the Le Mans race, which is normally in June, was going to be in September, so she still was you know, testing for an entry for there, and she unfortunately had a, a pretty bad crash and wound up uh, getting injured. So when this conversation was happening, it was within three, four weeks of that. Um, so, the, and in fairness, we were talking early on about, you know, do we do, uh, you know, half a season in 2021, like starting with the first race, kind of leading up to the 500. We kind of, we, we batted around a lot of different options, as you do when you kind of start thinking about the operations of a team and the competitiveness. So thinking that we were going to be starting with the first race of the season, um, you know, I said, you know, I'd really love to have Simona back in the series. And it kind of just went from there. So, hmm. and here we are. And the fan response, which you know, you expect, but it's been really off the charts. It's been fantastic. Simona's, you know, also a fan favorite, as we know, and um, also most recently ran in 2015. Um, but she, although, again, although not in the IndyCar paddock and not stateside, she's been driving full time. This, you know, whenever, even though we haven't seen her, she's been between Formula E, V8 supercars, and now as a Porsche factory driver. Um, she was a test driver also for, for Formula One, but for the past couple of years, she's been driving for Porsche in kind of any way that they want to deploy her, and she is full-time this season. Actually, 2021, she'll be in a GT series in Europe. So she hasn't been um, out of the cockpit at all this entire time, which is also compelling to know that she's been sharpening her skills on the track. Well, okay, let's just get down to brass tacks here. Simona speaks like 1,200 languages. So when she gets <laughs> mad at you, is, is it in Italian or, or Portuguese or French? I mean, what does she it's say? Pretty much, it's pretty much German. I mean, let's be honest. Hey. I think that's probably the strongest sounding one. So I think that's what I would go to. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's the angry language. But yeah. Beth, Beth, we know the workings of motorsports, and you know yeah, it as you know do. it as well as anybody else. And we know what goes on in the paddock with a paddock full of men. We know where their heads at. We know who they voted for. We know where their stance <laughs> with the economy. Uh, oh boy, this is do this we? is yeah, yeah, we yeah right. <laughs> we so it, the headwinds are still there. I'm sure not as strong as they were five six years ago, but it, they're still adversaries in those walls of motorsports for you um i probably but i mean but the people that are making decisions and the people the people also understand i mean honestly there's this is a commercial business mm -hmm. we need fans to watch car makers oems need to sell you know toyota is in nascar so that they sell cars chevrolet is in you know ford is in and then you look at IndyCar, you've got Chevy and Honda. They want it to translate into loyalty that bought, that sells cars. We all know that women influence 80% of consumer purchases across, you know, in any category. You know, you're buying a new refrigerator for the house, you're buying a new car, you're buying a new lawnmower. The if it's a, a 
you know, husband-wife scenario, there's a wife that's usually weighing in. Um, realistically, we need to also just grow the fan base in general. We need women and men to be watching. And this is the thing, too. It, for everybody to be clear, women are not a minority in any, you know, in any shape or form. It's 50, we're 51% of the global population. So the only way that we're a minority is in, probably in our own heads. And because believe me, we keep ourselves back. That's not, you know, that's not necessarily part of the reason why we're not in some places is because we don't know that it's possible for us. It's not like there's necessarily people actively keeping us out. It's, you know, and you could say that about any sort of minority group. There are a lot, I, I, and that's, I think, important to say because I know that the people that are on the other side of the table who are in those positions of power have are are sad to learn when somebody thinks that they're not welcome because in their mind they've been welcomed all all along and that's that's a very you know that's a very important thing to acknowledge that it's not that the door has been closed necessarily it's that we didn't know that we could knock on it wow statman was raised with sisters i have a very strong mother that taught me a lot of things crasher's mm-hmm. been the co-host of speed freaks and going in pits for 20 years and breaking barriers we've got a seven-year-old uh between the two of us and it's incredible watching it's so silly to say this the evolution Mm -hmm. of the female brand in life is fan freaking tastic where where did you get your gumption to 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 go forth and bust down barriers well there's a bit of it that I, so I grew up as an, I, I always say this exactly this way. I grew up as an only child, but I wasn't born as one in that I had a brother. I had a brother who died when I was six and he was 17 and he had cancer. And after, so what, you know, we had a very wonderful relationship because there was a big age gap between us and he was sick my whole, my whole childhood, you know? Oh. So it was a very sweet, sensitive, lovely, lovely, lovey, Hello, lovely relationship. <laughs> but after he passed, it was just my parents and I, and we were very close and in a very, you know, nice sort of, you know, I, I adored my parents. But when you go through that as a family, and then when you're sort of the sole sibling that's left, you very much, and, and people will tell you this, it happens all the time, I very much became not so much tomboyish, but I could definitely do all the things with my dad, all, like all those, those gender split that, you know, the, the stereotypical gender stuff, like go fishing with my dad, talk about cars with my dad, but then go do like mom stuff with mom. And so that's first. Secondly, somebody asked me this and I thought it was kind of the coolest. I hadn't thought of it, right? We never, we kind of have our best self-reflection when somebody kind of puts a question to you, kind of like what you guys are doing. <laughs> but uh, somebody asked me once, after your brother died, did your parents shelter you? and become overprotective, which is a very fair question. And I know that in a lot of scenarios, families that have a similar situation, that that happens, right? You've got one kid left, and you, you want to wrap them in gauze. <laughs> and you want to put them, you know, under a little glass, you know, little protective bubble. Yes. And you wouldn't have necessarily blamed a parent for thinking that way. But credit to my parents, they did the opposite. It was, you know you're all we've got, go. And whatever I was interested in, they supported. And I'm not in a, you know, not, not in a crazy, like spoiled way. You know, we did, I didn't have the financial means for that, but it was more supporting me 
you know, emotionally, like, yeah, go, go after that. You, you can do that. And one thing that they, and I would say this to anybody who's a parent, and you guys know this, one thing that they are most generous with was if they were proud of something, they would tell me, you know, and say, I'm proud of you. Like, I'm proud of you. And just mm-hmm. say it out loud. And don't take for granted that your kid knows that you're proud of them. Tell them. You know, not in a crazy way where you're, like, smothering them. I didn't have that, but it was kind of like, but, but believe me, you know, we all, like any kid, you kind of screw up, and you know, you know that, too. <laughs> but I, I think that was kind of it, was having, knowing that I had, um, I had parents that cared that I, when I was working hard. And believe me, I took a circuitous path like we all have. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I finished business school, uh, graduate school. Uh, you know, I had an MBA and I decided I used to work in the alpine skiing business all the way through high school, college Ooh. and after college. Yeah. Love it. Skied for a living, lived in Vermont. I mean, the whole <laughs> nine. Uh, I'm from New England. I'm from Connecticut. But when I finished graduate school, I was like, okay, I'm not going to stay in this. It's weather dependent. And I was trying to figure out what industry, where, where do I want to where do I want to work? And I've always been a car person. I've always been a racing person. I've been reading car magazines since I was five. And I thought, all right, let me find a place. Where can I, where can I fit within this business? And I didn't grow up in, like, I, there, we're not a car family. We're not a racing family. It wasn't, other than being fans of it and being interested. And, in, uh, you know, my dad had, you know, a couple of cars he had restored, but, you know, not in no way like a super gearhead. And I just kind of, I, I took a job selling cars at a dealership. So I had literally had just finished my MBA and I took a job selling cars. And there was those moments of like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, my, you know, it's funny at different times, my mom would be super supportive and my dad would be like, what the heck is going on? And then other times it would shift and my dad would be super supportive. And my mom was like, what the heck is going on? So anyway, I got here and um, my only, the only thing that is the only sad part about all this is I lost both of them. I lost my mom in 2012. Um, She was able to see the Viper program Mm. take off, but she, she passed right before we won the NASCAR championship. So she knew that we were in the chase, but she didn't see the finale, but my dad did. And then uh, my dad wound up seeing the success of the Viper program and, and that championship. And he did see the launch of grace. But uh, when I say that there was stuff behind the scenes in 16 that people didn't know, my uh, right as the 500 was happening in 16, my dad went into hospice care. So there was a, you know, there was a lot of stuff that I was juggling that, that obviously everybody close to me knew, but public didn't know and nor, nor would they, why would they? But um, just that added level of, you know, I was his caretaker and I'm, I'm the, you know, and the last of this three-legged table of my mom, dad and I, and, I'm trying desperately to get on the grid so he could see it and it didn't work. And, you know, a month later he's, he's in hospice and a couple months later he, he passed away. So I will say um, that moment at the press conference and after the press conference on Tuesday, there's all that sort of just that exhale of, okay, this is actually happening and people are getting on board with why this might matter long-term for our sport. This isn't about a team. This is about, getting more people to watch racing. Let's, let's be more um, appealing and get pe- more people to identify with this sport that we all love. But when uh, the press conference was over, we went out to do some photos and they put the logo up on the pylon. And now that, you know, the team's my name <laughs> and there was my last name on the pylon. And all I thought of was like, wow, what did my parents and my brother get a kick of that, out of that? Beth, thank you for doing this. We will be talking to you soon. Cool. Thank you, Kenny. All right. See you guys. See ya.